0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to Boyd's Baseball Podcast. Steven and Matthew back in the booth with you. It's yeah, sure. L- <laughs> it's been a little bit since we uploaded. We've just been really busy with school and everything yep. going on. Yeah, so we got some new content right here today. So we'll get you started. I'm um, probably just going to get started again on the playoff picture again, just kind of like updated for the last two weeks we've been off. Things are getting heated. Things are getting heated. It's getting exciting. I'm getting way more excited. I don't know about you, but I mean. I don't know. It's getting a little tense in both races in NL and AL, so that's always good. The American League wild card picture is looking crazy, dude. The Indians have won five in a row. They're creeping up. They tied the they tied the Rays. Yeah. The A's are only two games ahead. Yeah, it's coming down to the wire though, so two games. I feel like a lot bigger than what it looks like. It could. How, many, sure. how many games are left in the whole season? Probably like seven, uh, eight, seven, eight, seven. Seven, one of the two. It's about a series and a half left. Yeah, and Oakland's on fire, so I don't think anybody's really going to catch them, which is always good because go Oakland. Knock on wood. Got, Got to go for the underdogs here so Oakland they can maybe. knock off one of the two powerhouses, which would be sweet. I also like the Twins, so co Twins and A's in the AL. If one of those two goes, then wow, we're chilling. Just because there's no Rockies, might as well cheer for someone else who's an underdog. Yeah, true. Rockies suck. Yeah, the Rockies are not doing good, but in the NL... It's not as exciting anymore. It's the pretty, Cubs are. It's pretty close. The Cubs are. They've lost four in a row. That's bad. The Cubs are out of this. Cubs are blowing it. They're Even done. Yelich, dude, Yelich has been gone for quite a bit, and the Brewers are eight and two in the last ten games. What is going on there? That's kind of interesting. The Cubs have a tough schedule too because they have to face the Cardinals again. I was talking to my boy Jake Gracious the other day. Shout out, Jake. The Cubs have to face the Cardinals for I think the next like six games. Yeah. So that's tough. The Brewers get to face the Rockies, so easy yeah, so easy I, dubs. But it, yeah, that's true. It's kinda weird and it's kinda weird too though. It's kinda like they're on fire when Yelich just got injured. It's like, how did that happen? So I'm surprised the Cubs are kinda losing it right now. I don't think Milwaukee's gonna do anything if they make it so wild card. Be a, i be think that would almost be a blowout. Think, <laughs> even though I'd even though they're, they're only be... one game behind Washington. <laughs> so that's kinda funny. Uh, yeah, I, I think that would be a pretty boring game. Yeah, I like the AL one a lot better, even though it's a lot of, like, smaller teams. Nobody likes the the Rays or the A's as much, but even Cleveland. It's so. cool, a battle of the analytics, small market analytics clubs. Yeah, it's true, like especially that. the Rays. and The A's are just Billy Bean like, type, so that's always good. It's always fun to, fun to see how they do. When they're good, it's really fun. But, I mean, that's like a 50-50 chance, to be honest. Yeah. Moving on now. Do you see Pete Alonso fifty home runs? Yeah, good for him. That's all I can really say. I only really have for him. Come I like. I mean, I don't really like him too much just because he's probably good and he's on the Mets. But he's a great player and he's gonna destroy NL pitchers for the next ten years. So that's no fun. Mm. Kind of surprised he's so good, to be honest. I am too. The dude, his fiftieth home run was kind of crazy. Like blown away. It was below the strike zone. Yeah, it, it was hammered. unbelievable hammered it out to right a little backflip with it too so i mean he, he knows his place right now which is good and he's gonna be a superstar for years to come everybody already kind of knows that so so that's always good for the mets for the mets at least not for the not for the rockies rockies the rockies, are rockies are not doing good i've read a couple articles recently that the rockies are very bad with their front office like i've heard i read one that like jeff brights is pretty arrogant in the clubhouse or not in the clubhouse in like just like the office and stuff and whatever he does is kind of like he's never wrong I think which I don't know if you've heard about that you probably haven't because I, I looked that up a couple days ago yeah. and I also saw a, an article by Ken Rosenthal with The Athletic and it kind of said like how Charlie Blackman and DJ LeMay who are just like DJ LeMay has been talking to the Rockies players about how advanced the Yankees are in analytics compared to Colorado which is unbelievable because if the Rockies want to win they got to they got to be ahead of that because they're playing in such a different environment. They got to be ahead thing. of that, which is ridiculous. Yeah, the Rockies front office is living in the past. Yeah, if they're they're if, doing better than they were. That's why they made two playoffs. Right. But, yeah. if, but if you're if you're not all in on analytics in this day and no, age, you're yeah. you're falling behind. which yeah, you can Clearly, just tell. the Rockies are. Yeah, I didn't even really understand that until a couple months ago. It's like the good teams are the ones that are huge into analytics, like Houston. They're They're the biggest analytical team in the entire league, and we'll we'll get to that later with a couple guys, but it's unbelievable. Like, they lead the league in walk... I think, no, they lead the league in the lowest strikeout percentage and the highest slugging percent. No, I can't remember exactly, but it's... I think they lead the league in the OPS or close to it behind the the Twins, so they're one of the best offenses, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me. It's not even fair. It's unreal. Yeah, and that's because they're into the analytics, so... They know how to pick good players for sure, and the, and develop them. Yeah, and there's a reason why they're the top of the league with 101 wins right now. Their game in front of the Yankees. Their offense is absolutely loaded. If yeah, they turned Michael, Michael Brantley a look, into a god. If you just take a look at their lineup, it's unreal. It's not fair. They know what they're doing, and they three, they'll be good for so many years. They have three aces. Yeah, it's true. I wish the Rockies were good. Oh well. It's all right. Go it's fun Rams. to look at other teams and cheer for them. So, go Oakland. Bringing it back to the Cubs, Anthony Rizzo spent a couple of days in the leadoff spot. You see that? Yeah, I mean he's been known to be good in the leadoff spot, and then once you look it up, you're like, oh dang. So <laughs> that that got kind of of Matthew true. And I, that got Matthew and I thinking about the best leadoff hitters ever. So backed by uh, popular demand, Colin Hayes exactly. <laughs> um, he wanted to know like the stats on Anthony Rizzo, and I thought that'd be a great idea. So. Anthony Rizzo has the highest weighted runs created plus with 169 since the year 1900. In the leadoff spot. From the leadoff spot with the, at least 200 players. Yeah, in plate in their career. And he also has a 1,041 OPS from that spot in his career, which is the highest among everybody with 200 plate appearances, which is nuts. So it's kind of funny because the Cubs can just put him in there and just, he can kind of just produce more than you actually think. And you're like, oh, maybe we should just keep doing that. So I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a funny stat. Not like saying that he's gonna produce like that for forever, or if he's got, like, if he's gonna keep that up with a yeah. thousand plate appearances. Two yeah. two hundred and twenty nine is about half a season, a little less, I guess. Yeah, but if they put him up there, obviously every single game he's gonna fall a little bit. But it's yeah. just, I think it's really cool how he's just going up he just and up steps and up. up to the plate. Yeah, he steps up to the plate when he's lead off, and something changes behind behind Rizzo. There's Mike Trout, Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna. For weighted runs created plus, Mookie Betts has he's ninth all time with at least 200 plate appearances in with, weighted runs created plus, with a 139 weighted runs created plus, and he has 2,600 plate appearances there. So a little more consistency there. That carburetor's is pretty good. It's it's tough to say Rizzo's the best all time when he only has 229. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of, I think you just, that's not the that's just funny to say. It. Size. But yeah, Matt, that's true. Matt Carpenter has 3,400. Mickey Betts 2,600. George Springer is 25. As of what Anthony Rezzo has put together, he is the best for now. He is the best leadoff hitter in the game ever, of all time. Of all time, what a stud! <laughs> Especially with his body type, he doesn't look like a leadoff hitter. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> that's all right though. They're, they're going to need him to step up too in that playoff race. So hopefully he's all healthy after a little ankle sprain. But I think he'll be good. One thing that we noticed was the Astros' player development and how like skilled they are with that, basically. And I think it's kind of crazy. Two examples are Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole. I think I mentioned this earlier with like how they br- they'll bring in guys that are good and then they'll make them even better. Even better, which is the which is the day and age we're in, which is really cool and very interesting to understand that. It's like the Moneyball kind of part two, almost, like with how to. Find good players, but now it's like make good players because the technology is yeah, so their, good. Their analytics department is so, so yeah. advanced. Yeah, and Garrett Cole's on a roll. Like he's, it's unbelievable how much better he is. He, he reached three hundred strikeouts this year. Like I don't even think he reached like two hundred and ten. Yeah, he was. He used to be a solid pitcher. Yeah, well, he used to be good. He used to be. I think he used to be a little overrated. But his highest amount of strikeouts in a year was two hundred and two in twenty fifteen. But he also had two hundred eight innings, so that's less than a strikeout per inning. And you are like, what? How does that make sense? He strikes out literally everybody now because now his strikeout percentage is thirty nine point one percent for a starting pitcher. And he's this year he struck out three hundred two in two hundred innings. He struck out a hundred more batters in less innings than he did in twenty fifteen. That's just insane. That's that's all you need to know right there. And it started immediately once he got to Houston. Once he got to Houston. Yeah, because in twenty seventeen the year the one year before the one year in Pittsburgh before he got he was last, uh, last year in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the last year in Pittsburgh before he went to Houston, he had 196 strikeouts with 203 innings. So again, less than pretty about a strikeout printing, fairly consistent with his 2015 numbers. Yeah. And then all of a sudden in 2018, a jump to 276 strikeouts in 200.1 innings. So he added 80 strikeouts in less innings again. And then this year, he's just continued on top of that. But I think he's been relying very heavily on his improved four-seamer. Yeah, I think that's what the day and age is going to. That's, what, that's what the Astros are working on. They they develop a pitcher with a four-seam and curveball or slider combo. Yeah, and they just get their spin rate way high, and then all of a sudden, obviously it's going to be more effective that way. Because in 2017, his spin rate was 2,164 <laughs> RPM. On the fastball. On the four-seam fastball. And then... In 2018, it moved up about 200 to 2,379, and this year it moved up almost another Again. 200 to 2527. So whatever they're doing is they're doing it right. And then obviously, his fastball has, obvi- has always been top notch, like in Velo. He's he, always he's been always up there. Had the heat. But I think this year, he's averaged one of the highest in his entire career for average at 97.1 miles per hour on the four seam, which is Unbelievable, Especially with that spin rate. Yeah, he's 29, so he's probably in, his, he's in the prime of his like pitching career. He's, his fastball ranks in the 90, 96th percentile for fastball velocity and 95th for spin. Yeah, that's unbelievable. That's just a deadly combination. Yeah, right and there. the curveball speaks for itself as well. So in 2017, his spin rate was 2,667 on his curveball. And in 2019, it's 2,902. So whatever they're doing there, they know what they're doing. They, in Houston, they know exactly what they're doing with their pitchers. Yes, yeah, so they, they took a good pitcher who throws gas, and they made, they made his fastball dirtier, and they made his curveball dirtier. Yeah, exactly. And now he throws even harder than he used to, probably because he, he's got more a little more confidence in him, and he knows he's going to blow it by people. So he just, touch, like, just brings it up a little bit. He just bring, yeah. I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing it right. And same with the Astros. It also speaks for itself with Verlander. It does yeah, the same exact thing. The same story. Verlander in 2012 was was 2012 the year he won MVP. Yeah, he was Verlander in 2012 was a freaking god. So after after 2012, he kind of just declined. He became a pretty average pitcher. Yeah, he didn't I, do his. I remember average. thinking this was probably about 2016 or so, end of end of my high school career. I was, I remember thinking like, what happened to Verlander? Like he used to be so good. Yeah, he actually didn't drop off too much. I think he dropped off more than we thought because he was so good in the past. Yeah, I mean, like, it's hard to... You can't, like, maintain an MVP season. Yeah, but obviously. 2014 was his worst year as of late with a 4.54 ERA. Exactly. Like, he, he wasn't... He wasn't with, at the like, lead. With no strike... with Yeah, with 159 strikeouts and in 216 innings. Yeah, so, like, he, he kind of fell off. And then he was traded to the Astros and this in same... 2017. Yeah, this same sort of thing happened. Yeah. So yeah, in 2015, when he was still on the Tigers, the first year that StatCast recorded this with the spin rate data and stuff, his spin rate on his fastball was 2,491. So not bad. But now it's 2,578. So it's gone up. It's definitely gone up over 100, especially for how old he is. He's, how old is he, 36? So, I mean, he's improved it by 100 or two when he's in the mid 30s so good for him and that's another thing that Astros are good at it speaks to the Astros' player yeah. development it's unreal yeah and they know that's why they're winning and that's why they'll win for a while cuz they're ahead of everybody in technology they know exactly what they're doing but i mean they're going to be hard to beat and if they're making 36-year-old pitchers cy young candidates every single year the good every luck. every team's got to copy them <laughs> if they can good copy them they should and good luck Another thing that Houston has excelled at and kind of like shown to, like, to people is like their pitch usage. Like we mentioned, they like to throw the forcing fastball more and the curveball more and the sinker less. So if they bring in a high sinker baller, which unless they're like elite sinker baller, they're going to keep them that way. But, or at least I would think they would. But like for say, they got they acquired Aaron Sanchez at the deadline this year and he had an awful year. So obviously they're going to get him for pretty cheap. Which is good. And Sanchez had some success in the past, or has had some success in the past with the Blue Jays. And once they brought him, they brought him to Houston right away. They stopped, they stopped using his sinker, and they started using his four seamer. And it's kind of funny because in the month before he got traded, he used his sinker 40.94 percent of the time. When they traded him, he used it 10.51 percent of the time. But I think he's he's injured right now, so obviously he can't. He's not really doing anything. And he's had some success. Like his first start was like seven no-hit innings. So it's like, okay, they're on to something. And uh, I think it's because of that increase in forcing fastball and the decrease in the sinker and also the increase in the curveball because in July, his curveball, he used it 20.68% of the time. And in August, when he was healthy, he used it 28.34% of the time, the highest of any month this year. So what they're doing is it's obvious. Like people can just look it up. They're using the four seam more, the sinker less, and the curveball more. And they're basing the four seam and the curveball together, so it's tunneling it together. So, we've we've been talking a lot about that four seam curveball combo. the The reason we talk about that and the the reason it's so effective is because the four seam is a relatively straight fastball, as opposed to a sinker. A sinker has a little bit of tailing movement on it. So the four seam is mostly straight. And if you pair that with a good curveball, it looks like they're coming from the same plane. Yeah. So if you threw a forcing seam fastball up in the zone, and, let gonna, it, yeah. and then match that with a curveball, the curveball going to look like it's that forcing fastball coming high, and then it's going to drop off the table. So it's just a deadly combination. Yeah, so you could pair that fastball up with the curveball in the zone or the like low fastball with the curveball in the dirt. But, I mean, I think the Astros are mostly doing the high fastball with the curveball in the zone and that'll get a lot of swings on the high fastball and then a lot of ugly swings on the curveball oh. or just ugly swings in general yeah so they, they know what they're doing and you cannot give them a credit enough i don't know i think a lot of younger like college i think colleges and minor league teams and whatnot should start even the, other pro teams should start copying the astros mainly just other pro teams because like a lot of teams are pretty far behind and uh, there's Rockies. quite a bit. Yeah, the Rockies are. There's, they're, usually the teams that are far behind are the lower level teams. So They're typically the analytics deniers. Yeah. Or the, so, the skeptics, at least. Yeah, so they'll, they'll be the ones that aren't as good. But the guys who are accepting it and they know how to use it, they're going to be the ones excelling for years to come. And, and it's actually, quite obvious. They actually implement their findings. Yes, the and field. I think a lot of colleges should kind of follow that and see what the Astros are even doing and just try to develop their, their college athletes that way. And then they'll have a, I think they'll have a better chance of succeeding. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of Boyd's Baseball Podcast. We'll keep you guys updated on Twitter about any upcoming podcasts and any articles written by Matthew Boyd on Boyd'sBaseball.com. Sweet. Thank you. Have a good night. Peace.